Our first reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please stand for our gospel reading? The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so loves, if God so clothes the gar- grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As you remain standing, let us pray. Jesus, as we come to you, let us find what this world can't offer. Let us find our joy complete. And let us rest here in your wondrous peace. Amen. Please be seated. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Do not be anxious. The command, don't be anxious, is a little bit like saying, don't think about elephants. Who's thinking about elephants? Even saying, don't be anxious, can trigger anxiety about whether or not we're anxious, and what that means if we are, and how to stop it. Stop thinking about elephants. Stop being anxious. Full disclosure, I have struggled with anxiety pretty much my entire life, and I'm far from alone. Currently, partly because of the rising costs of inflation and housing, one in seven Canadians struggle with anxiety. And an estimated one-third of Canadians will struggle with moderate to severe anxiety at some point in their adult life. This number is disproportionately higher for marginalized and racialized people, lower-income individuals, women, people who identify as LGBTQ, and youth and children. And much of it is related to basic survival needs. Health, food, clothing, housing. But on an even more general level, everybody knows the feeling of anxiety because it is part of the human condition. And so we hear a passage like, don't be anxious, and it's both something that we long for and something that feels impossible in our time and place because there are so many things in the world to be anxious about. Climate change, food insecurity, inflation, rising cost of housing, job security, unemployment, mental health crises, illnesses, addictions, the list goes on, not to mention the ever-present flood of negative news that we are inundated with on a daily basis, informing us that we should be outraged or at least worried about dozens of things that we may not even have ever thought about before. And so in the face of this, what do we do with these words of Jesus? And what do we, as the body of Christ, have to offer to an anxious world? We have so much to receive and so much to offer because we have a God who is good and a God who loves our world and who loves his people and who provides for us in our need. So this morning we'll look at the roots of anxiety, what it means to seek God's kingdom first as Jesus calls us to do, and what we have to offer to our hurting world. We're continuing in our preaching series on the Sermon on the Mount. And over the past couple months, we've come face to face with some of Jesus' most difficult teaching as he's addressed topics like divorce, lust, anger, fasting, forgiveness. Last week, Tim tackled the tough topic of money. How do we see our money? What do we do with the excess once our basic needs have been met? And this week, this section of Jesus' sermon picks right up from where we left off by exploring the flip side of that question. What if we struggle to even meet our basic needs? Anxiety comes for all sorts of reasons, but one of the most common is simply related to survival. 
How do we deal with the very real anxiety that comes with having to put a roof over our heads and put food on the table? A question that is affecting more and more Torontonians every single day. Well, Jesus was speaking to a people who probably knew this very anxiety very well. In first century Palestine, most people had little beyond basic necessities. That's why they say not to keep a cloak from somebody overnight because they'll need it to sleep in. It's the only one they have. And so with no social security, even their basic necessities were precariously dependent on weather and other, environment, other factors. So when Jesus spoke about worrying about food and drink and clothing, he wasn't talking about deciding between the first century equivalent of Gucci and Prada. He was talking very literally about the struggle for the basic necessities of life that his audience was likely facing. Food, drink, clothing. But this wasn't a new struggle even then. Back in the third chapter of Genesis, when humans first turned away from God, God told them that the effects of that turning away would be that humans would struggle for food. And God described this in Genesis 3, verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you, he says. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. This, the Bible tells us, is one of the main results of sin. A struggle for our daily bread. And it's proven so ever since. But it's important not to misread this. Because the Bible is not saying that God would not provide for his creation. That the effect of sin is that God is going to stop giving us what we need. Not at all. God was not withholding necessary food from his creation. There were still plants in the field. The earth was still fruitful. But humanity's relationship with it, and with each other, and with God, had changed. It had warped, and it had led to this struggle, a struggle that continues today. According to statistics from the United Nations, some 821 million people are considered to be chronically undernourished. Chronically. But it's not because God hasn't provided food. The UN also stresses that there is enough food produced today to feed everyone on the planet. There is enough food for everyone. The issue is not God's provision. The issue is and always has been sin, human greed, taking more than our fair share. Human fear, storing up for ourselves while others go hungry. Human wastefulness throwing out food that could have been eaten. It is because of the effects of sin that so many in our world experience hunger on a daily basis. So what does this have to do with Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? 
Like Jesus has been doing in the whole Sermon on the Mount, he's pointing us back, back to a time before sin, back to a time before Genesis 3.17, to what the world was intended to look like, a place of plenty, a place where no one had to worry about being fed or clothed, not only because there was enough for everyone, but because nobody took more than their share. It was a kingdom of abundance, free from anxiety, full of trust in a good God who would provide for his good creation. But Jesus wasn't just reminding people of this time in the past. We've been hearing over and over over the past few months how Jesus came to bring a new reality and usher in a new kingdom, one in which the world is restored to how it was supposed to be in the first place. He came to usher in and to start planting the seeds of this new kingdom of abundance and plenty. To show us again what humanity can look like when it fully trusts in God. He modeled this for us and taught the secret of it. Believing in the goodness and love of God. The goodness of a God who feeds the birds and who clothes all the earth with beautiful flowers that may only last a day and never be seen by anyone but him. Jesus is inviting us into that reality, a reality that grows more true the more we believe in it, a reality that will someday be here in all its fullness, and creation, as it was intended to be, will be fully restored. A time when human relationships with each other and with the earth and with God will all be healed. A time when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. There will come a time when this is true of all people and all places. And meanwhile, meanwhile, there are seeds of the new kingdom everywhere. And we have a role to play in extending that kingdom, in fertilizing those seeds, as we taste and see that God is good, that he does provide for his creation, and that even in times of hardship, he is working for our good. A few days ago, I had one of those strikingly real reminders that God is good, that he listens, that he is so kind, and that he loves us so much. A situation had come up a few weeks ago that caused me and others a great deal of anxiety. And I was working on this sermon at the time, knowing I had to preach on anxiety and trying to tamp down that anxiety and being like, what am I going to say if I'm feeling anxious this whole time about this? Well, this past Wednesday afternoon, the anxiety overwhelmed me. I couldn't hold it at bay. And I began to pray. And I had been praying, of course, but this time I prayed not just that God would act, but specifically for his mercy to cover our mistakes that had led to this situation. And then I prayed more boldly, which I don't normally do, and I prayed that the situation would resolve itself in three weeks, which would take a miracle. And just the effect of praying for God's mercy 
somehow allowed peace to enter my heart. Not necessarily that the situation would be resolved, but that God would work in it for my good, that he was listening, that he was on my side. The next morning, I was working on my sermon when I found out that that three-week miracle that I had asked of God had been granted in less than 12 hours. And it felt like God just wanted to exclaim how much he loved me and how much he loved everybody in this situation and how much he loved showing us mercy. It wasn't that he wasn't, it turned out he wasn't interested in showing us what our mistakes cost, but just how much he loved us and wanted to care for us. I know miracles don't always happen and prayers sometimes feel unheard. I know the same person who told us don't be anxious would find himself in a garden so overcome by distress that he was literally sweating blood. I know that he would call out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I know too that he was heard. Hebrews 5, 7 tells us that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard. Sometimes the only answer we have to hold on to in suffering is what we know of God, that God is good, that Jesus was heard, that the suffering he underwent was out of love for us and good came of it, and that he has promised that he is with us in our own suffering. But more than that, he has also given us each other. An old proverb says that a trouble shared is a trouble halved. And we need each other, the body of Christ, because we are so often the means by which God halves our troubles for each other. We, the people of the kingdom of God, are a vital part of the way that God provides for his creation. We are so often the provision that he provides. It is no coincidence that the three things that Jesus mentions in this passage, food and drink and clothing, are all things that, according to Matthew 25, will determine whether we belong in the kingdom of God at the end of time, whether we fit. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, Jesus says. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. This is not some secret test to pass in order to belong but rather the very nature of those who thrive in the kingdom of God, those who believing in his provision are therefore free with their resources, those who naturally share with those in need because they know that like the birds and the lilies, God will take care of them. We belong to a beautiful world created by a good and a beautiful God who loves us, and we need to remind each other of this. We need each other 
to remind each other constantly to trust in the goodness of God, to share our stories of his goodness, of how he's provided for us in our own times of need, the times when we have seen the birds fed, when somebody stopped by with, a food or a or with food or a hug right when we needed it, when an animal might have curled up right beside us to show us love when we were feeling alone, that flower that offered beauty on a day when everything felt dark. Remind each other of the goodness of God because he is good. We need each other to pray for each other, to surround us with prayer in our times of need. The other week, I was reminded of this. I was uh, looking forward to the justice workshops, but I was also nervous about them. Nervous people wouldn't show up or the pizza wouldn't show up or something like that. And I mentioned this to Tim in our meeting, and he said, well, let's pray. And so he prayed that the workshops would go well. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Prayer is the antidote to anxiety. And of course, the workshops went well. So glad so many of you could come. But we need to remind each other to pray, because prayer is the antidote to anxiety. We need each other to share with each other, to offer up our resources, our time, our wisdom, and our love. All of these things which the lack of causes anxiety, we can share them with others. And this is how we begin to see what Jesus has described coming true. A world with no need for anxiety. A world that trusts in the goodness of God, in the goodness of Jesus. In a moment, Jody and her team will lead us in a song. I asked her for this one in particular because it's meant a lot to me in my times of anxiety. And I invite you to stay seated for it and join in as you feel comfortable or just sit and allow the words to speak to you that Jesus is good, that he is all that he said he would be. And may your anxious hearts be eased. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.